If you would, I'd, I'd love for you to find um, your way to a Bible. And as Nate, I know, reminded us last week, um, for those of us who carry uh, these dumb phones, um, these smartphones, you, you always have a Bible with you. There are some Bibles back over in the corner there. So if someone needs one, raise your hand. We'll try to make sure you, you get one in your hands. I'd just love to, if, if you're someone who likes to look at the Scripture um, while we're reading, we'd love to have you do that. Um, it's also going to be up on the screen. I'm prob- I may be reading in a version that's different than what's on the screen. You may be reading a version that's different than what I'm reading or that's up on the screen. So just, it's all right. It's all, from the, it's all translations from the Bible. We'll just, we're just going to walk through this together. But as I, as I read this um, passage, I'm going to be asking you some questions. So I'd like for you to really pay attention. Not just sort of check out and go, oh, I know this story. But I want you to really... Pay attention to what's happening in this particular story with Jesus. Maybe even, maybe even think about where am I in this story? Like, if, if, am, I, am I one of the crowd? Am I, am I Jesus? Am I this person? What does it feel like to be there? Uh, just, just really take a moment and really just listen. I'm going to read it pretty slowly, and then we're going to talk about it. This passage comes um, really right after, or very soon after, uh, Jesus, Jesus is what in Luke is called the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to ask you a question now. Does anybody know why Luke calls it the Sermon on the Plain and Matthew calls it the Sermon on the Mount? Not you. I know Paul knows. I know Paul knows. Come on, somebody, some other Bible scholars. Okay, Adam, why? Okay, right, because in Matthew it says he went up on a mountain... And in Luke, Luke writes that he went to a level place, that he went on the plain and such. That's why it's called Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. Basically, the content is very similar. If you want to know what the central teachings of Jesus really are, if you want to know what the central teachings of Jesus really are, go to the Sermon on the Mount, go to the Sermon on the Plain, and you're going to find that. So, so this is right after that. If you, if, if you have your Bible, if you want to follow along up there, Um, This is from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it relatively slowly. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and to heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I am also a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, 
and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. That's the end of the reading. So tell me just anything that you, that you noticed that jumped out at you about that uh, particular passage. Jesus and the centurion are enemies. Why are they enemies? Do you know? Right. He represents the Roman government. Exactly. He is, he is um, an occupier. He represents the Roman government. He, he represents law and order by the force of Caesar's will. He is there probably... Now, we're, we're not really sure exactly... I mean, Centurion means he commands a number of people, but, but we don't know exactly what his role is. But in some way, shape, or form, he represents an occupying force in Israel. So they are natural enemies. Okay, what else? What's that? Captain was well-liked, yes, very much so. It is interesting that the, it's the Jewish elders who come to Jesus and say, he is worthy, he is worthy to have you come to him. He is worthy. Now, but why was he worthy? Did you catch it? He helped build the synagogue. Um, it seems like he's a friend to them, so he's, so he's hospitable. He, you know, he, may, he may have been what, 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 is, what would be called a God-fearer in this time, meaning he may have been someone who who liked the ethical teachings of the Jewish people and maybe followed those ethical teachings. Um, and so, uh, but of course, he would not have been allowed into the synagogue, probably. He, um, the Jew, Jewish folks would not have gone into his home because they would have been made ritually unclean because he was a Gentile. All right, what else? What else did you notice here? Mm, okay, so, so in, according to that Bible study, it says that they think that he sent them to try to get Jesus to come because they, they would have been kin and he would have just turned away because he wasn't. He wasn't. What, does it, what does it actually say in the scripture there, right? As it, to say that he sent them? Okay, I couldn't, I couldn't remember just off the top of my head. Okay, all right, that's interesting. It's interesting. All right, what else did you notice? He cared about his slave. Very good. Yes, very astute. Right, I mean, what's interesting is that in reading commentaries on this, there was a lot of ink spilled about slavery and how, well, you know, you're going to have to address the issue of slavery because people are going to be very upset that this man has a slave. Well, I think we're all adult enough to know that we're talking about a very different time than now. I mean, people had slaves then, yes. 
it, it, it maybe was or wasn't like slavery like we had in the U.S. We don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of different slavery back in ancient times. Um, none of it probably good, but you know, we, we think about it differently. But he cared about the slave. It wasn't as if, oh, well, my slave's sick, so what? Go out, go out and take care of him and let's bring a new one in. And which could have been the attitude, I think. It very well could have been, this is just a piece of property. But for whatever reason, he, it's interesting, that the language here, he valued him highly. So we're not really sure if he was worth a lot of money or if there was some relationship there. We don't know. That, that it's not clear in the scripture whether it's one or the other. We, of course, we'd all love to think even much more highly of the centurion about that he, that he really had some feeling for him. But he, did, he cared about him in some way, shape, or form. All right, what else did you notice? Go ahead, Aaron. Ah, yes. Very good, yeah. The centurion has no other knowledge of Jesus other than what he heard. That's what it says. He'd heard of Jesus. He had heard of Jesus. He had not, it doesn't say that he'd, he'd been sitting at his feet. It didn't say that he'd been in the crowd. It didn't say that he, whatever. It said that he heard of Jesus and he very much, so he says, I'm a man under authority. You're a man with authority. Boom, done. I mean, he just has this amazing trust that Jesus can do whatever it is that he's asking him to do. What else? What else did you notice? Yeah, Tom. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, 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 Paul. In, in the version I'm reading, it says, sent some of the elders of the Jews. They're held in high respect and high regard. Now he's saying, can you do this? And go mm-hmm. Right. Right, so far, right, up, up to that point. And then, and, and the thing is, the centur- well, the centurion at one point calls Jesus Lord, which for us is no big deal. We say Jesus is Lord, blah, 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 no big deal. Um, you didn't, Caesar was Lord. I think you got to hear that. In this period of time, Caesar was Lord. That was the basic confession for a Roman was Caesar is Lord. Basically, Caesar is God in a sense. So, I mean, maybe not quite that high, but Caesar is Lord. And so, he, so the centurion calls him Lord. That's fascinating to me. Because like you said, Tom, like you said, Paul, I mean, he holds Jesus in this incredible esteem. And he's never met him. He's never met Jesus. He's only heard, he's only heard of him. What else did you notice? This is great. You guys are really paying attention. I love it. Mm. Right. Right, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus very much so uh, says, uh, as we might say today, um, I haven't seen, I haven't seen any faith like this among my elders, <laughs> you know, like, I haven't seen any, any faith like this among the people of Israel who, 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 are, the, who are the people of the covenant, who, who are the ones who, who remember all this stuff that happened that God did for them, but these, but, but Israel doesn't trust me with this kind of thing, absolutely, I think that's, that's, that's for, that's it's it's very very fascinating. What else? Go ahead, Paul. He already knows. He doesn't expect Jesus to do anything because he says, "Just say it, and it will be so." Mm-hmm. You 
show up, don't show up. All you have to do is just... Right, say the word. Say the word. Right. So in ancient times, and, and uh, as far as I, as I dug into this, it, it, true, in, in this period of time, um, they believed that they believed in healers. I mean, there, there, were, there were lots of healers around, people who were going around healing people of their maladies and this sort of thing. But they believed that, they believed that you, need to, you needed to really be in physical contact, that you needed to lay on hands, you needed to somehow be in physical contact for the healing to take place. So it's even, I think it's even more amazing that, that he's sort of saying, just say the word, because that would have been outside of the realm of normal of normal belief in this period of time. Because they, you know, they would have thought he needed to come to the house, lay on hands, do something, you know, um, sprinkle the magic dust, whatever it is, you know, that sort of thing. So, what else? Yeah, so he was honoring the Jewish tradition and the, bu- the, the Jewish law and, and prescriptions about things, because he says, you know, Lord, you're not, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house, and there is some undertone of don't come in my house because then you'll be unclean. You won't be able to worship in the synagogue. You won't, you'll have to go through the rituals and all of that. I don't want that to be for you. So he really does. Ha- so it seems like he cares for his slave. He cares for the people there because he's been a benefactor to them. He cares about the, the law of, the, of the, the Jewish folks because he's saying to Jesus, don't come in here um, because you, you may be made unclean and that means that you're sort of outside of things. Good. We got some great Bible scholars in the room today. This is awesome. So keep, keep it up. What else, what else do you notice? Yes, ma'am. Mm, okay, so that, so we don't we don't we don't have to see Jesus being right. So you correspond to that with like the power of prayer or the pr- power of asking. Yeah, I like that. Very very nice. Very nice. What else? What else did you notice? I read this twenty times before I noticed this. I just want to just because you know, I'm thick. If you read the Matthew version of this story, Jesus says, let it be for you, basically, let it be for your slave as you want it. Or something to that effect. He says the word. Jesus doesn't say it here. He never says the word. It took me forever. I, I never saw it. I thought, I kept writing down, oh, Say the word, and Jesus says the word. Say the word, and that was going to be like my sermon was going to be about that Jesus says the word, and we're healed. Jesus says the word, and we're healed. And I went, uh, in, in, this pa- in this particular rendition, where from Luke's vantage point, as he's telling the story, Jesus never says the word. He just says, I've never seen faith like this. And then they find that the slave is healed. I think it's really fascinating. 
that perhaps even there's power in that asking in such a way. There's power in that faith, that faith in Jesus in that way. This surprising faith. Because that's the thing about this is, I mean, again, they're natural enemies. Even though this man is seen, you know, and I, and I think it's really interesting how the Jews come to him and say, oh, he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. He sends his friends and his friends go, he's not worthy, he's not worthy, he's not worthy. But then the centurion says, I get who you are. You have authority. And all, you know, basically all you need to do. And what we realize is Jesus doesn't even need to do. <laughs> At least in this passage. We live in times that are incredibly difficult. The Jewish people in this time when Jesus was around lived in times that were incredibly difficult. They were being occupied by an outside force. They were were being extorted basically for taxes to build Rome, a place that was far away from them in their imagination. There were lots of things um, that were happening in turbulent times. they, They were probably unsure about what might happen from one day to the next. What's interesting to me is that really, in some ways, since 2008, and especially then in the, for the past two years of this election cycle, this presidential election cycle, I really feel like America has been in what I hear everybody saying is how unsure they are about everything. Everything. I'm unsure about my retirement. I'm unsure about what's going to happen to my, you know, my kids, my grandkids. I'm unsure about what's going to happen to my job. I'm unsure, about the, I'm unsure about what's going to happen to our political process. What if this person gets elected? What if that person gets elected? What if this happens? What if that happens? There's just a lot of, there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of insecurity. <clears throat> what's also sad is that among our service members, we have... We have um, in, in, in some of the things that have been going on recently, we have, we have the lowest rates of death by serving in the military in like all time. I mean, every war we have, we have fewer and fewer and fewer, but the psychological toll gets higher and higher and higher and higher. There's something happening in our world or in our culture or something that, that is triggering this kind of anxiety. I mean, rates of PTSD are skyrocketing. Now, there's, you know, there's lots of talk about that, but it's just happening. Suicides among service members are crazy high. I, mean, I think this is, the t- this is the day to talk about that. And in some sense, I wonder... And this is pure speculation on my part, so just we're going down, a, we're going down an untraveled road. You're in my head for just a moment here. That I, I just wonder if, if in our country we've created such anxiety that it's just becoming sort of a self-fulfilling sort of thing. Because when you're anxious and you're unsure, you know, it, that can take you to not a good place in your mind. You begin to fight with yourself. 
because you're unsure about what your next steps should be. You, you, you wonder if the things that you've been doing that you thought were fine are going to work out. And so I think it's imperative today that those of us who follow Jesus spend some serious time in remembering. In remembering. The Israelites spent 400 years in slavery to the Egyptians. 400 years. Do you wonder if they were anxious? (laughs) If they thought God had abandoned them? And yet God was faithful. God brought them through that time, out of that place. Not because the Israelites were perfect. Not because they got their act together. But because God was faithful. Throughout the Bible, you just hear story after story after story of people who have broken the covenant with God, of people who were picked to be kings and who just misbehaved incredibly. David, go read about him a little bit. You be, won't be surprised. And yet God is faithful. That in some sense, in, in, in our minds, the surprising faith of all time is the faith that God has in us. The faith that God has in us. That when we are insecure, that when we are anxious, that when we are depressed, that when we are in a place that we really don't want to be in, that I think one of the things that if we can, if we can turn our mind to remember and to live in is that God is faithful. God has a surprising, everlasting faith in the people that God created and is creating every day. And that what we need, in some sense, is to remember that, but to live into that, and then hopefully as we, as we study the Scripture and we pray and we worship together and we, and we serve together, that we then show forth this surprising faith, like this centurion, That someone might look at us and say, I have never seen such faith. I've never seen such faith. God had such faith in humanity that he sent his son to be one of us. To show us how to live. To give us an example, yes, but also to show how far God was willing to go in order to remind us of the faith that he has in us. Again, not that we're perfect, that we continue to be broken and estranged from God, that we continue to do stuff that's just absolutely stupid and ridiculous and we, and we, and we treat each other horribly. We talk about each other in, in horrendous 
ways with horrendous language. We continue to do that. Just don't turn on the TV. You'll just still hear it. But that God has this surprising faith in us that comes most powerfully through Jesus. And that then those of us who have received this message, who have heard this message of hope and life and faith, that we then are to be the ones to carry it. To fan that little ember that is in our our hearts and our minds and our souls, if you will. To fan that little ember of faith. To open it up to 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 the fresh air of the Spirit. That it might become something more than just something that we kindle within ourselves. That it might be something that we share with others. Because we live in a time of great anxiety. And people need a great hope. And ultimately, the hope that never fails is the hope we have in Jesus. And so today, as we remember, may you know the great and glorious ends to which God has gone to show his faith in you. May you, even in the depth of your brokenness and your hurting, hear a voice of comfort, of healing, of hope, that your faith might grow, and that maybe it might surprise even you. Amen.